Here we are again with Let Me Be Frank. This is episode two of my new podcast series. Now, I should start this one off. I didn't realize that I forgot in the first episode to talk in detail about where you could subscribe to my podcast or how you could keep up with it. It is on iTunes under Let Me Be Frank by Frank Benalicino, me, of course, and you could subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. It will also be on TuneIn on that app. You could subscribe via their app. And, of course, you can always follow my podcast via my own personal website, my actor website, which you can also keep track of what I'm doing as an actor, at www.frankmenelicino.com. So let's get right into what we're going to talk about for the second episode, which is going to be the unplugged session of Alice in Chains. The reason I'm doing this, kind of similar to how I talked about Scream in my first episode, which was celebrating its 25th anniversary this month, December of 2016, I want to talk about Alice in Chains' unplugged session because... It also celebrated its 20th anniversary earlier this year in 2016. And I really don't think Alice in Chains gets the credit they deserve as a band or ever really got the credit they deserve. They were overshadowed by the dark cloud over them, the band's substance abuse problems, and the tragedy of Lane Staley, their lead singer, their enigmatic front man. And they were just as big a part of that whole Seattle scene of the early 1990s, the late 80s, early 1990s, as any of the other bands, especially the Big Four, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam. And they seem to be, in terms of popularity and mass knowledge, the least popular, which never really made sense to me, or the least, the least acknowledged, which is unfair, because they, they still are to this day ridiculously talented. I mean... Jerry Cantrell and Sean Kinney are two of the lasting original members that still make up the band. They have Mike Inez, who replaced Mike Starr, original bassist in 93, who's still going with them. And then, of course, they've got William Duvall, who joined in 2006 when they reformed to take over singing duties to replace the legendary Lane Staley. And I want to talk about their unplugged session because it is one of the iconic sessions of that MTV show, the Unplugged show. Of course, Nirvana's is largely considered the most important Unplugged session, the most famous Unplugged session, the best Unplugged session up there with the Bob Dylan session, the Eric Clapton session, which won a Grammy, of course. But I think Alice in Change is just as good as any of those. If not better, you can argue that their session was the best of all of them. And why do I say that? Well, take into account what was going on at the time. This concert in April of 1996, which was recorded at the Brooklyn Academy of Music in New York City, this was Allison Shane's first concert in three years. They had not performed together outside of the studio in three years. Now, of course, that was due to all the inner turmoil, the band, as I, was, I touched on earlier with their substance abuse problems, it was hard to get Lane Staley to work. He was in and out of rehab. Cantrell, Kinney, they were going through their own demons and their own personal struggles. So they get approached to do Unplugged. I've done a lot of research into the Seattle music scene. It's my personal favorite scene in terms of musical movements. They were approached several times about doing Unplugged, but they never really agreed to it until this very moment in 1996, and it all finally came together. And it was one of those things where they were really nervous to do it because they hadn't played together live in three years. They were terrified. They were petrified. They didn't know how it was going to turn out. They had very little rehearsal. 
But when you watch that, that show, you would never, ever guess that. I mean, if you didn't know the facts, you just tuned in one night and say, hey, look, it's Alice in Chains, or let me check out this band that's on this episode, Unplugged, this week's version of Unplugged. You would never know you were, you were watching a band that was getting back together after a three-year hiatus, doing their thing. It was like they never left. They didn't miss a beat. Now, of course, there's many people, or there were many people at the time, who said it was basically like a novelty show. You know, it was the, the, the softer songs, the softer versions, the softer acoustic sets of their hardcore songs were just novelty, you know, versions. But I really disagree with that. It really sh- this Unplugged Session showcased the band in a much different light. I mean, because they had released two acoustic based EPs, Sap in 1992, Jar of Flies in 1994, which, by the way, Jar of Flies was the only EP in the history of music to ever debut at number one up until that monstrosity in 2004, Linkin Park and Jay-Z. God, I still can't believe that usurped it. But just a really intense, fantastic show. And given that Lane Staley was in the middle of his, his battle, his lifelong battle with his addiction and the rest of them, were dealing with their own problems, and I actually read that Jerry Cantrell had food poisoning during the performance. So, I mean, you take all those factors. I mean, how could you not appreciate what you were watching that night or what you watch now if you go back and watch that show on DVD or if you look it up on YouTube? Just absolutely incredible. And one of the other interesting things is from 1993 to 1996, Alice in Chains, obviously, as I said, did not perform live. But in that time, they had the EP Jar Flies, which, like I said, debuted at number one. They also had their self-titled album, their third studio record, Alice in Chains, which debuted at number one. So you got a band who had two number one records, and they did not tour to support either of those records. I mean, that says a lot about you as a band right then and there. You've got no tours going on, no public appearances, no performances, but yet your your music is still debuting at the top of the charts. I mean... That, that right there alone should tell you how fantastic this band is, how great this band was, how great they still are today. Props to them for still continuing on with the music. Let's talk about their Unplugged session. Let's break this down. I'm going to go song by song. So the set starts with a rendition of Nutshell, one of the band's most harrowing tracks. It's just an incredibly powerful song. A lot of people say, oh, it's depressing and it's sad. And that's one of the things I don't like when people say, you know, I listen to Alice in Chains and I feel like I want to jump off of a building. They just, all they do is talk about, oh, woe is me and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, so a lot of their material is dark and it's nasty. But, you know, the reason it upsets people, I think it rubs them the wrong way, is because so many people are terrified to confront their dark side. Alice in Chains, as a band, was not afraid to do that. They were blunt. They were forward. They laid it all on the line in the studio and on that stage. Bore their souls out there. Wore their hearts on their sleeves. Held nothing back. Especially, of course, Lane Staley, their singer, the man who led the charge. And it's really unfair to just write them off as, well, some band who just likes to wallow in their own misery. Just it's it's not right because it's to just write these these artists off as a bunch of miserable 
addicts or miserable alcoholics, whatever their problems were back then. Too many people are unsympathetic towards people who struggle with addiction. I mean, that's a disease. It is a mental disease, okay? And too many people overlook that. I mean, there is science behind it. And they were they were struggling, yes, but that doesn't take away from their music. It should not take away from their music. And you don't have to like it. I'm not one of those people who says, well, you have to like this band, because I do. But I, I don't think you should just completely shit on them and shit on their music because you think it's just about them embracing their own self-pity and when, when it's not. Because while they may be singing about their own issues, while you might be listening to Lane Staley sing about his struggles with drugs and his own problems in life, or you might hear Control singing about his problems in life when he sang on his songs. Yeah, maybe you don't do drugs. Maybe you don't have a drug problem. Maybe you don't have the same problems as they do, but I guarantee you, you got your own problems. And if you just open up and listen to the music and embrace it, you will connect with it. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I sure as hell do. And I've never done drugs in my life, but I connect to Lane Staley like no other singer I have ever listened to before. It's magical. Because while I might not be able to relate to him in a sense of um, struggling with drugs, having a problem with drugs, we all, I firmly believe, have some sort of addiction and some sort of problem like that in life. Now, addiction, you hear that and people just think drugs, 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 cocaine, heroin, some alcohol, some sort of abuse. But addiction comes in all shapes and forms. There's all types of addictions. And I think we all have a devil inside of us that we're constantly fighting with and some sort of addiction. Because at the end of the day, what is addiction? It's an unhealthy habit. Okay, what is habit? Something you do over and over. We've all got some sort of problem like that in our lives. And that's why I connect to Lane Staley, because he, he put his issues out there. While he may have been doing it to exercise his own demons, to try and cleanse himself, he is allowing us to come into his own hell and to confront ours and experience it together, to fight the battle together. And that's why I so, so greatly appreciate Lane Staley's contributions to music and the band Alice in Change's contributions to music because don't write off Jerry Control. A lot of people, you know, Lane Staley, because of his unfortunate ending, the way his life ended, far too short, he sort of has a, you know, cult of fans around him. Similar to Kurt Cobain, Cobain has that worldwide cult because he was the most famous of them all. The, the, you know, the. The, the, the icon of the 90s, the the front, the poster boy of the 90s. That's who Kurt Cobain was, right? Kurt Cobain still is the poster boy of the 90s. But Jerry Cantrell was the machine of Alice in Chains. I mean, he wrote most of the music. He sang backing vocals, sometimes shared vocals with Lane. He, so you, you, they were they were just as crucial to the to the band together. They were both equally crucial to the band. And don't write off obviously Mike Starr, his contributions as the bass player. The original bass player that Mike I and I is picking up where he left off and continuing on and Sean Kenny on the drums. Just a fantastic band. So, with that being said, now let me get into the actual unplugged set that they performed. Kind of got a little thrown off there. I wanted to throw some background into it and some explanation as to why I think it's so incredible and why it should be looked at differently, why that band should be looked at differently. So they start off with Nutshell. And Lane Staley is the last member of the band 
to walk out into the stage and he gets the loudest pop of course when he does and in hindsight we look back on that now when he walks out and you can tell he's visibly frail and and weak and suffering but he approaches that mic he sits down and he goes right into it like a boss and he crushes that rendition of nutshell you could just feel the pain you can sense it whether through your earphones if you're listening to it or through the screen if you're watching it it's just really something else it's almost like an otherworldly like experience i mean he was so soulful and he was so effective at making you feel and that's really what a singer should do he should he or she should make you feel it should be about more than just wow what a voice on this person you got to Feel it, man. And Lane Staley did that like no other. He brought you into his world. He allowed you to look at your own world. He allowed you to confront your world, to confront the darkness, and sharing it with him. He 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 spoke to you, even though he was speaking of his own issues. He spoke to you by doing that, and that's really special. That's hard to find in an artist. So they they get through nutshell. It's it's just so so potent. Lane, of course, was dressed in all black. He had the black shades on. The rest of the band's doing their thing. And then they kick into Brother. Brother, of course, was off sap. And Anna Wilson from Heart on the studio version contributes vocals to the chorus. Now, nothing against Anna Wilson, who's obviously legendary in her own right, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Seattle icon herself. But this version of Brother is superior to the studio version because, I mean, to have Lane and Jerry and their voices harmonized together on stage in this intimate setting, nothing else like it, man. It's just incredible. It's unbelievable. For my money, I have never heard better combined vocals, better stacked vocals, a more beautiful harmony than Lane Staley's vocals and Jerry Cantrell's vocals together. And it has never more highlighted in terms of a live setting, I think, than their performance of Brother on Unplugged. There is one particular moment where the music just stops. And it is Lane's voice isolated and Jerry's voice isolated. And they are just singing together. And it is beauty in its rawest form. And what I'm going to do for you, I'm actually going to play an excerpt of the song, Brother, the exact part that I am talking about, so you can get a feeling of what I am talking about. I would highly recommend that you buy this album and listen to it, or more so, look up the performance on YouTube or buy the DVD, because there's nothing quite like it. you got to see it to truly grasp it, but I'm going to play the excerpt I'm talking about anyways real quick. in a box at home Yellowing and green with mold So I can barely see your face Wonder how that color tastes 
which I believe to this day is their highest charting single ever, No Excuses. Bit of a crossover hit. It was off of the Jar of Flies EP. Uh, got a very country-like feel to it. Of course, country music seems to be bigger than it has ever been nowadays, and this song, I think, fits in perfectly with that explosion that we've got nowadays. And no Excuses, fantastic song. And I think it, it translated fairly well to the Unplugged session. It's got a nice... Nice tempo, Lane and Jerry again on vocals, Sean Kinney doing his thing on drums. Much more, much more delicate work that he's doing, obviously, because it's unplugged for this particular track. I think it's at the, it's at the end of No Excuses, where Lane actually says, or it might be actually, no, it's actually, it's before No Excuses starts. It's right after Brother, where Lane says how long they've just been waiting to do this show. He's telling the audience how grateful it is, how grateful he is. They all came out to see it, how much it means to him and the band. And all the stuff you read about Lane from the books, his band members and his friends say that he was just the ultimate sweetheart. He just had a heart of gold. Such a warm-hearted individual and people look at him ever since he passed. They just remember him as this recluse, this person who lived in a shell because of his issues and that's really not fair. Because we'll obviously never know who he was, unfortunately, but you look up what his his friends and family have to say about him and his bandmates because just a really spectacular individual from from what they highlight about him and this was just an example of that i mean they're they're they get through two songs and he tells the audience how thankful he is for them to be there how much he appreciates them and then they kick into no excuses then after no excuses they go into sludge factory and this is funny because they actually play the opening of Enter Sandman because Metallica was in the crowd that night. They were friends with Metallica. They were supposed to open up for Metallica at one point, but they had to cancel because of, because of the issues they had going on. And Mike Inez, actually, his bass guitar has a sticker on it that says, Friends Don't Let Friends Get Friends Haircuts, which was a, f- a, a jab at Metallica, a friendly jab, because they were in the crowd, as I said, and they had all recently cut their hair. They didn't have the long, shaggy hair anymore. Now they all had, like, crew cuts and modern-day short haircuts. And Mike Inez was taking a stab at them, saying that they had friends' haircuts, like they looked like they were on the show Friends, which, of course, at the time had become a gigantic show on television, the most popular show right up there with Seinfeld. So they, they perform Sludge Factory, and if you watch the broadcast of Unplugged, it's not, on the, it's not on the CD. They cut it out from the CD version, but if you watch Unplugged, the DVD version, there's a moment where Lane Staley, he, he mixes up the lyrics. He, he goes into the first verse, and then he accidentally starts saying the lyrics from the second verse in the first verse's place, and as he's singing, he just suddenly stops and goes, Fuck! <laughs> And everything stops, and the audience laughs, and they get a kick out of it, and Lane gets a kick out of it, and Jerry gets a kick out of it, and Lane's like, oh, God damn it, you know, he's, he's beating himself up, he's putting his, his face in his, in his hands. And then Jerry Cantrell's like, oh, you know, we get a few of those, it's been a while, it's been a while, it just means you guys get to hear more of us. It just showcases the, the, like the nice little connection they had with their audience. 
a band, making making the audience part of the performance, making them feel like they're part of the band. They go into Sludge Factory, and Sludge Factory itself, why the performance that Unplugged is interesting. I was reading that Lane was a bit unsettled for that particular song, which might have led to why he had the hiccup, the hiccups during the performance, because that song, the lyrics of the second verse, Lane says, Call me up, congratulations, ain't the real why. There's no pressure besides brilliance, let's say, by day nine. While they were recording that song for their third studio album, Alice in Chains, the studio called up to check on them because they had a, a deadline, obviously. They were like, well, how are they coming along? Are they, are they all working? Are they all there? Are they, are they, do, are they on time? Yada, yada, yada. They went right into, so what's going on with the third studio record? You know, are they, as I said, what are they doing? What are they doing? What are they doing? And this was relayed to Lane Staley, who was pissed off about it. And then he, he wrote those lyrics in particular, into Sludge Factory as a response to the, the studio heckling them, you know, harassing them to hurry up and get it done, hurry up and get it done. Well, members of the studio who made that phone call were in the audience for the Unplugged session, so apparently Lane felt a little uncomfortable with performing that song and singing those lyrics, which were in direct response to them with them sitting right there in the crowd. But it's a nice little comical situation that shows the band's human side yet again as they performed Sludge Factory. And then, after Sludge Factory, they go into Down in a Hole. Now, Down in a Hole is off dirt, considered to be the, the band's magnum opus. And, I mean, that song on dirt, dirt, by the way, is just, it's, a, it's an all, it's, Jerry Cantrell once described it as an all-out assault nonstop, and that's really the perfect way to put it, because that album is so heavy and so hardcore. Down in a Hole, in a, in a weird way, is like one of the more upbeat songs on the album, even though, I mean, you can get from the title, it's not very positive. But that, that, was, that was the paradox of Alice in Chains. They could make these songs that involved this heavy, dark material, and they could make them sound upbeat. They could make pain sound beautiful. That was their gift. And down in a hole, being performed acoustically, being performed unplugged, with Lane's vocals just stripped down, my God. It's just another one of those examples of being so affected while you're watching this man pour his soul out on stage. You, you can feel it. I know I sound like a broken record in saying that, but there's really no other way to put it. It's just... And it's, it's hard because... Feel so bad for this guy while you're watching him, knowing what he's going through in hindsight. And you can't help but feel his pain, but appreciate his talent and his skills at the same time and just marvel at him and the rest of the band as they soldier on through this. I mean, to perform that material is no easy feat, especially for as long as they were doing it when they were touring in the early 90s. I mean, my God, and yeah, Lane's vocals on Down in a Hole. Whew. It's something to just hear him wail, to just hear his lonesome howl. It really is something. Down in a Hole, just look that one up, and you'll find yourself in a trance as you're watching that one. And then after Down in a Hole, they go into Angry Chair. Now, Angry Chair was actually cut from the MTV broadcast, so the only way you could see that one is if you YouTube the Unplugged 
concert or if you buy the DVD. So Angry Chair. Angry Chair was one of the only songs that Lane actually contributed a guitar playing to. He was the rhythm guitar for Angry Chair. And this song, I thought, really translated well to the acoustic unplug set because the studio version is so awesome. Such a heavy hitter, yet again, off the Dirt record. Lane's vocals were like triple stacked and they got the echo effect on the studio version. And him and Jerry together singing the unplugged version, unlike the studio version. I don't think Cantrell had backing vocals on the studio version. I think it was just all Lane because that was one of the songs that Lane wrote. One of the songs Lane composed the music for. Did everything by himself for that particular song. It was very personal to him. And him and Lane singing together on the chorus. Man. The Angry Chair might be my might be my favorite song from their entire unplugged set. I think the the chorus is just another splendid ex- example of the beauty of Lane Staley and Jerry Cantrell's vocals in unison sync together. And what I've always found just so crazy about the fact of Allison Chains, Lane Staley and Jerry Cantrell, as I said, I think that their voices together are better than any other voices together in music history, you might say, oh, yeah, well, that's your bias. You're an idiot, kid. Yeah, well, it's my opinion, okay? Music is subjective, so screw you. <laughs> you can agree or, or disagree. You're, you're entitled to that. But don't knock me for having that opinion. I won't knock you for whatever your opinion is. But I just find it so fascinating that these two voices, you, you, would f- you feel that like they found each other, these kindred souls, these kindred spirits, from opposite ends of the world. But yet they were from the same community in Seattle. That's just so amazing to me. They're like the Simon and Garfunkel of the 90s. <laughs> it's just mesmerizing their abilities together. What could have been? What could have been? What I'm going to do right now, since I said Angry Chair is my favorite, allow me to play you an excerpt from Angry Chair. Let me play the chorus, the exact part that I'm talking about, then we'll be right back. snippet of Angry Chair, the chorus that I was talking about, and just, again, feel the passion between Staley and Cantrell. Just spectacular, yet again. Absolutely, absolutely awesome. So great to hear that. So after Angry Chair, they get into one of the band's signature songs, which of course is Rooster. Now, Rooster is interesting because it was actually recorded in 1991 as a demo, an acoustic demo. It was going to be released on SAP their first EP, their acoustic EP. But they held off on it, and they decided to include it on Dirt. And of course, they had the full-blown electric studio version. And that song is obviously about Jerry Cantrell's father, his time in Vietnam, and it's really just a culturally aware song about the era that 
those guys, the Allison Chains guys, grew up in. I mean, they were kids during the Vietnam War. It's just, it's a power. That, that's got to be the best song about war there is. Oh yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, just so gripping, and so, so nasty. And you just, you just listen to it, and you're like, yeah, this, 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 it really puts you in the middle of a war zone. That's what it does. Makes you feel like you are on edge. You're on the tips of your toes as you listen to the lyrics of that. And the unplugged version, by the way, the demo version was actually included in the movie called This Is 40, which starred Paul Rudd and uh, Leslie, I forget what Les, Judd Apatow's wife, what her name is, Leslie something. I heard Paul Rudd play husband and wife in a midlife crisis. And there's one particular scene where they come home and they were arguing about music because Paul Rudd's character is in the music business. He's talking about how today's music is shit or whatever, and his wife's telling him you need to get with the times and deal with more modern music and more modern acts. And she goes into the, the room of their two daughters, and she starts playing she starts playing Nicki Minaj. And Paul Rudd's just sitting there in disgust, and then he gets up and he says, you know what, now it's time for something that really rocks. And he plays, <laughs> he plays the demo, the rooster demo for his kids, and they just stop. And his wife's like, what is this? <laughs> and the kids are like, I'm scared. I don't know what he's talking about. And he's like, this is real music. This is poetry. This is from somebody's heart. This is what's going to last 100 years later. I'm just like, yeah, right on, Paul Rudd, because that's going to be me when I'm 40 and if I'm married with kids. <laughs> it's just hilarious. It's the best part of the movie. But anyways, that's where you can hear the Rooster demo. Otherwise, you know, you can obviously purchase it from the iTunes store separately as part of the Music Bank Alice in Chains compilation, which was released in 1999. So they perform it as part of Unplugged. And again, stripped down, this song takes on a whole different meaning and feel. Not necessarily meaning, but a whole different feel for sure. I mean, because to hear this song performed in such an intimate setting it really draws you in more so in the studio and it's like you're face to face with this soldier, the rooster that they are referring to that they're talking about, figuring out how you're going to navigate your way around the, the mean jungles of Vietnam and the horrors that you are going to encounter. Just to, just, to, just to hear again Staley sing this song on the stage, the unplugged stage, it's fantastic. And they go into Got Me Wrong. Now, Got Me Wrong was also from Sap. And Sap was released on the down low. There was no press for it. And it really didn't become bigger until 1994 because Kevin Smith included it in his independent feature, his debut, Clerks. When Randall enters the movie, Got Me Wrong by Allison Chains is playing. It's a slightly different version, specifically for the movie. But then the, it was released as a single after that to capitalize on it, and then it became much more known, and that record sat became much more known. And they perform it here on Unplugged. And actually, I said Angry Chair is my favorite track of their whole Unplugged session, but it, it, it could also be Got Me Wrong, because I, I, I again think that this version is better than the studio version, Got Me Wrong. And again, it's just another highlight of... The power of Staley and Cantrell singing together, man. And there's one point, the final chorus of Got Me Wrong, that I think is just, it's so, so gripping, 
so gripping to just hear Staley give everything he's got up on that stage, despite everything he's going through, and they hear Cantrell meet him right then and there. To talk about a set like this, to talk about these songs, these artists, this band, me talking won't do it justice. So allow me to play you the section from Got Me Wrong that I'm talking about. from Got Me Wrong, and then after they finish Got Me Wrong, Jerry Cantrell actually introduces the fifth band member, the only time Allison Chains ever had a fifth band member, a friend of theirs, Scotty Olsen, which helped out on guitar after that song. And then they go into Heaven Beside You, which is one of the tracks off their third record, Allison Chains, also known as the Tripod Album or the Dog Album, because it's got the dog on the cover with only three legs. Heaven Beside You, of course, is one of the songs where Jerry Cantrell takes lead singer duties, takes over for Lane. Lane has got the backing vocals going on. And that's, of course, a nice switch up of the dynamic because, of course, Lane was the lead singer. But to see Jerry Cantrell take over and that whole album, a lot of that was Cantrell on lead vocals. It's a nice, like I said, it's a nice switch up. It's a different dynamic. It's, uh, it's another side to Alice in Chains to show you what, what more they could have done. And Heaven Beside You, of course, very, very lovely song. And then they go into Wood, which is one of their signature hits. Wood. Is one of those songs where there's a, there's a several camera views where they just put an extreme close up of Lane right then and there. That moment is where you can truly grasp what this man was dealing with and what this man was doing for us out on that stage. And Wood, of course, awesome song, and it it transferred over really well. They finish Wood, they go into. Frogs. Frogs was also not part of the original broadcast. The original broadcast actually ended at Wood. Or excuse me, the original broadcast. Yeah, I think the original broadcast did end at Wood. It was, it was out of order the way they reordered it. I'm reading down the actual track list from the album that was released. But they go into Frogs after Wood, which was not on the original broadcast. And Frogs is a really interesting song. It's one of the longest songs in Alice in Chains' catalog. It's about eight minutes. Man, the chorus of this song is lame. Just again, pouring his heart out. You know, why, is, why does it have to be this way is the chorus, and he just he says it over and over. Why does it have to be this way? And again, he can just, nobody, man, nobody, no other singer to me ever, ever had more soul than Lane Staley or more, more, more emotional power than Lane Staley, and Frogs is a great example. He's just got that, that lonely pine for help in this chorus, and it's just really, it really affects you. And then, the final half of the song, after the instrumental, 
Lane comes back, and he's got this this harmonica microphone that he starts using, and the last part of the song is basically spoken word poetry, which is really interesting. This is another example of, it to me, when you're watching it, if you actually watch the performance, when Lane pulls out that harmonica microphone and he, he tucks it down underneath him, away from the main microphone, and he's just speaking into it. He was just such a cool motherfucker, man. One of the coolest cats ever, man. One of the best frontman ever. He was just so fucking cool. My dad always says, in terms of being cool, whatever your perception of being cool is, somebody either is or they aren't. They can't act that way. They're born that way. They either are or they aren't. And Lane Staley fucking was, man. He was just so fucking cool. And this is just a nice little moment demonstrating that, man. He pulls out that harmonica microphone, and it's really eerie because he's, he's basically narrating his own life. And he talks about his birthday and how he's about to turn 28 and how he's still young. And it's basically like a, like a, a cry out to himself. You got to get through what you're going through. We, like, I can do this. I can do this. But can I? Can I not? And just really, really packs a punch. And then they go. Oh, and then Over Now, of course. Over Now is also another one of the songs that Cantrell takes over lead singer duties for. It was, it's one of those songs where you feel like Staley and Cantrell were talking to one another because Cantrell sings in the, in the chorus, oh, could you look me square in the eyes and tell me that it's over now? And it really feels like Staley and Cantrell are singing that to one another. That's really what their thoughts were. Like, is this it? Is this really it? Is it over now? Is Alice in Chains as you and I know it, us together, is it over? And you really get that feeling from watching them perform this and hearing that song. And then at the end of this song, it's funny because it was supposed to be the closing, and Lane says, okay, that's it. And then they, they, they start to, as if they're going to exit the stage, and people start booing. And then Lane turns around and goes, hey, fuck you, man, in a joking way, and he gets a huge roar from, of laughter from the crowd. But then Jerry Cantrell says, okay, we got one more for you. And they play the song, The Killer Is Me, which was a song that Cantrell says they were screwing around with during sound check and all that. And The Killer Is Me, I don't think it, it ever had an official release on any other albums. I think it was released on the Music Bank set. But then they go into that, and it's a, it's a, it's a nice little song, interesting song that to close the set with, nice little encore performance for them. And then they wrap up, and they finish, and they, Cantrell says, thank you, that was a lot of fun, thanks for letting us do that. Lane Staley, of course, says thank you as well, and then he comes back to the mic, to the, to the uproarious applause that they got, and he says again, just displaying that childlike quality that Lane appeared to have, and that, that just, just everlasting gratefulness that he had to his fans. He says, I wish I could just hug all of you, but of course I can't. <laughs> and then he walks away. And there's this moment, if you watch it, and this is really powerful. As they're leaving the stage together, Lane and Jerry throw their arms around one another, and they embrace in this warm, loving hug. And you could just, in that, that brief moment, you can just feel the love between those two and also feel the pain between those two. And it's really just a beautifully poetic moment on that stage as they leave together. I just wanted to talk about this unplug session. Wanted to talk about its impact on me as a listener, what its possible impact might be on you. Maybe, you know, like I said, my hope with this podcast is to get you to look at these mediums, whatever subject I'm talking about, in a different light that you might not have looked at before. So maybe you go back and you listen to the Alice in Chains unplug session. Now you feel it in a much different way and you think about it in a much different way. Maybe you enjoy it this time around. 
Maybe you go back and you listen to some of their other records and you find yourself with a new appreciation for Alice in Chains because they're still out there today. God bless them. Still continuing on the legacy of Alice in Chains. I saw them open for Guns N' Roses this past summer and they were fucking awesome, man. Go back, listen to the Unplugged album, go watch the show. And if not, guess what? <laughs> only joking, only joking. You know, I forget which song it is during this set, but while they're getting their applause, Lane leans into the microphone and he says, I would have to say that this is the best show we've had in three years. Then Sean Kinney says, Lane, Lane, it's the only show we've done in three years. And Lane turns around and says, well, it's still the best. And it's just another one of those, those moments where you're reminded of how goofy this band could have been and how that great sense of humor they had that kept them together. And despite the fact that how, how gloomy their songs may have been and how depressing you may think they are, they were a great group of guys from everything I read and everything I hear in interviews and watch in interviews. They had senses of humor like no one else in their scene. And they were just the most likable people, man. They had a fantastic sense of humor, and they were goofballs. And that's what's really great about them. So that concludes my discussion and my breakdown of the Unplugged session of Alice in Chains, my personal favorite Unplugged session, my favorite band of all time. Doesn't have to be yours, but hey, thank you again for listening to me. You can subscribe to my podcast again via iTunes, Let Me Be Frank, or via TuneIn, Let Me Be Frank. You can also find it on my website, www.frankmentalacino.com. And I'm going to be leaving you now, but I will return. And thanks again for listening to me. And I'll tell you what. <laughs> I really hope you do go back and you listen to this this album or you watch the concert because if you don't, that makes me, you know what that makes me? That makes me Paul Rudd from This Is 40. That's who I'm going to end up being, the guy who's trying to play Alice in Chains and saying, you should be listening to this because this is great rigging music. Ah. So let me end on a light note and I'm going to play the excerpt of the scene that I was talking about earlier from This Is 40 when Paul Rudd plays Rooster because, you know what, it's pretty much me. Thanks, and I'll see you guys later. Why'd you take it off? Now something that really rocks. This is called good music. From somebody's heart. Tell me meow, this isn't fun. Seriously, just listen to these words, okay? Just listen to the words. Got my pills against mosquito death. I don't understand the words. This is lyrics, this is poetry, this is what, this is what is going to survive in a hundred years. It just doesn't make people happy. Makes me happy. I can dance to it. You're the only one in the room who's happy. 